And so let's get to God's word that comes to us from Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 23. And this will complete our Advent Christmas series uh, in the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And let us then look at the word of God. And here now is God's word to us. Verse 13 of chapter 2. Now when they had departed... Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, Weeping and loud, and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. That's the reading of God's word. Would you join me in prayer as we ask the Spirit to work in our hearts to hear and receive the word of Christ. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, uh, to the most important time of our week, the proclamation and the word of God. And although we might be bare and skeleton um, due to some Uh, uh, some COVID sickness and stuff like that, we pray um, that you would be with us all as we hear the word, whether it's here uh, in person or online. And what we pray is that the spirit would work in our hearts, that the spirit of Christmas, the spirit of of the birth of Christ and and what that means to take on the cross of Christ, uh, we would would truly embrace Christ the good news of this incarnation. Now we would take with us the difficulties of the Christian life and knowing that we will have a cross to bear, we would take it with hope, joy, peace, and comfort as we go about our days. We thank you, O Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I've entitled this message, The uh, After the Birth of Christ. And we're going to be taking a look uh, at what goes on in the lives of Joseph and Mary and these Magi and Herod as well, uh, as we continue to look, about, uh, look upon uh, what happens after Jesus is born. 
And you see the baby in the manger, as we know what that looks like. We may have seen uh, illustrations of that and, and Bible stories. Uh, and and the, the, the news of the, the baby in the manger came to tell us um, the worst news ever. It reminded us of the worst news ever. Because until we accept the worst news ever, we'll never want the best news ever. Ever. Now, what do I mean by this? We all know that the birth of Jesus for this world and for us as a church was the best news ever for mankind. We know that because he came in the flesh, God was now with us, Emmanuel. He embraced humanity, God in the form of his son. Dealt with hunger, rejection, pain, injustice, and death. He brought about the supernatural into the natural world and he brought us the good news. There's no better news than that, right? But in order to understand the good news, you and I need to understand the worst of news. Why does God? have to come in the flesh? Why is this action so radical by our Lord? God had to invade our world in the person of Jesus because, and here is the worst news, because there was simply no other way. There's simply no other way. You see, there was no other way because the big problem in our lives isn't our family. The big problem isn't our country. It isn't our society. It isn't our history. It isn't our government. It isn't our relationships. It's not financial. It's not even the church. The biggest and darkest problem that all of us have to face and that somehow, someway influences everything that we think, say, and do isn't outside of us, isn't outside of you and me. The biggest problem is what's inside. Even if you had none of the above problems that I mentioned in your life, you would still be in grave danger because of the danger that you are to yourself. If all we needed was some sort of external tweaking or fixing to our circumstance, then the coming of Jesus doesn't really apply. It doesn't really make sense. It doesn't really work. And if we understand that, then the radical, interventional incarnation of Jesus is our only hope. Sure, you can run from that bad relationship. You can quit your, that bad job. You can move from a, a, a dangerous neighborhood. You can leave a, a dysfunctional church. But you have no ability whatsoever to escape yourself. We have no ability to rescue ourselves from the greatest danger that is in our lives, which is us. And so this means that without the birth of Christ, we're doomed to be destroyed by the danger that lurks inside us from the moment of our first breath. 
And that's what Romans chapter 3, verse 23 refers to. For all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. You see, what this news of Christ coming in and having to radically intervene into this world, the worst news of all was that sin separated us from God and sin left us guilty from before Him. Sin made us active enemies against God. Sin blinded us from the gravity of our condition and our dire need for help. Sin causes us to replace worship of God with an unending catalog of created things that capture the deepest allegiances of our hearts. You see, sin renders all of us unable to live as we were designed to live. Sin was the final terminal disease that without help would kill us all. That's the worst news ever. And that's what the Christmas story ultimately tells us. Is that this is not this story, is not only the story of joy and comfort, but it is the backdrop story of what God needed to do in the form of his son to bring us out of uh, and to, to deliver us out of our sin, out of our wretchedness, out of our struggle. That's what the Christmas story is about. That's why Jesus' birth is so important in our lives because it begins the trek to the cross. Now, after discovering Jesus, we're going to look at what happens next. What happens after Christ is found? And we're going to look at three points here. The Magi's dream, Joseph and Mary's dream, and then lastly, Herod's nightmare. I hope that you've gotten to paint what we've, we've gotten to see about what the world was and is before Christ came into the picture. Last week, we saw the awe and the worship of the, these three wise men. And what was beautiful about their journey was that they were pagan. They didn't know uh, Christianity. They didn't know Christ, but they just followed a star uh, due to their own uh, type of work. And they were evangelized to throughout the whole journey, even though they didn't know it at the time. And unlike Herod, unlike the Jews, these men sought out a new king, and what did they do? They found themselves worshiping the baby, baby Jesus. Our text now continues with what happens next. Now, isn't that the, the Christian life, especially to us? You and I know all too well what it's like to be a Christian after you're converted. Okay? Conversion. Something to celebrate. I love when uh, we have an opportunity to baptize a person because they profess their faith and they, they realize that the beauty of the Christian life and the gospel is so real to them. It, is, it, is, it changes their perspective. And praise be to God when conversion happens, when our children profess their faith and some of them might need baptizing, we, we celebrate wholeheartedly. But we also know what it's like to continue the walk of that Christian faith. It can be super difficult to walk the narrow path. It's super difficult to remember the profession that we made before. And so after their encounter with Jesus, you have to ask this question, were these 
men, these three wise men, were they satisfied? After they found themselves worshiping God. Now, let me just paint this for you. They, they, they find Jesus, okay, they, they find Jesus by, by being led by God through a star because they were astronomers in their day. They found this king that they were looking for, and you can say that their mission was a success. But then the next day after a vision, you could imagine what's going on in their head. Are they perplexed? Right? There's this unanticipated situation. Yes, they, they find a king, but this king is in a manger. The king's mother, the princess, is not royalty, but rather she's a teenage wife with a carpenter husband. So imagine their thoughts. Are they going to survive? There's no real power. They don't have any power. They're really poor. And now they've been told that a powerful king, King Herod in that day, is out for this king baby's blood. So think about, put yourself in their their shoes. You wonder if the wise men were pondering the rest of their lives. uh, What kind of king would this Jesus be, especially if he survived? Would he survive? Or maybe they're, they're told about the two central threads of, of the gospel, that Jesus brought hope toward the world, but because of where he was born, how he was born, and the child uh, was born to suffer, and that the child was born to suffer, even die, and ultimately resurrect, that would probably mean that Joseph and Mary would have to, had to understand that as well. And maybe... You can imagine them comparing notes and trying to understand the gospel. And maybe it's possible that they knew and they were ready to take on their cross after the good news that Christ was born. It's possible. But what we do know is that within a day or two, all of them were gone. There's no more cozy scene that we think of. You know, I always picture um, Home Alone, and you guys might be too, too uh, uh, old for Home Alone, but Home Alone where, like, you know, Kevin is, is about to set the trap for these robbers, and he goes to the church, and he prays, and, and it's like this jolly scene of, of peace as he sees the, the manger uh, and, and Jesus in that manger, and there's that cozy scene, and then all of a sudden chaos is going to happen afterwards. That's kind of what's going on here. There's this cozy scene, but now there's no more of that. Now they re-enter the dangerous world with a new life, a new perspective. And what's the point? You see, knowing Jesus means taking up your cross and following him. Yes, before Jesus was born, there was some danger. But now that Jesus is born, they would discover that the shadow of the cross that fell on this child would also touch them would touch you. That's our situation. Each party in this time, after the cozy scene in the manger, at that house of Bethlehem, gave Jesus all they had. His parents gave their lives to him. The Magi gave their precious gifts. But now they left Bethlehem with a sense that now suffering was going to be a part of their life. 
Then you get to the next point, Joseph and Mary's dream. Look at verse 13. We find this next dream, this next vision that's given to them. No territory was now safe for Joseph and Mary in the country of Herod. So they were called to leave. And we get this quotation of Hosea chapter 11, uh, verse 1 and verse 15. It says, And remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Now, why is it so important to Matthew and his gospel? This reflects on the rescue of God's people from Egypt. You see, Matthew is doing something here. He's kind of doing a reversal, a great reversal, in the minds of these Jewish readers that would have understood their history. He's reflecting on Genesis. He's reflecting on Exodus. Think about this. A family goes down into Egypt... A child rescued from a wicked ruler. He grows up and leads his very own people out of this bondage. They pass through the waters of the sea. They're tested in the wilderness. Eventually, they reach the borders of the promised land. How does that not remind you of Moses? And Matthew was telling us that in Jesus, a greater exodus has now begun. This time it's a spiritual exodus. Deliverance from a wicked king, Satan, and from the guilt and the power and the shame of sin. Jesus being taken into Egypt was not simply for his own safety. That's not the whole plan of God. It was to fulfill a prophecy to fill out and to fill up a pattern that God had written into his own people's history to point them forward to the full and final exodus that would bring us eternal salvation. You see, what Matthew is doing here, out of Egypt I called my son, the great reversal is that Jesus is now called to be the new and better and ultimate Moses. The one who will lead his people out of Egypt, out of the world, and into the heavens above. And therefore, don't just think of this as God being scared for his new king's life. No, there's actually fulfillment here. I hope that you're following me now. Now, Let's go to the last point, Herod's nightmare. You see, this is not a vision or dream that he gave to the Magi nor to Joseph and Mary, but rather it's news to Herod that the Magi have now tricked him. In verses 16 through 18, it's actually a really difficult part of the story. Now, if you really think about it, this is not just a story. This is not just fable. This is really what happened in history. And because of this news, because he found out the Magi didn't go back to him, because he knew that the Magi tricked him, Herod then went into a fury. He decided that if he couldn't deceive his way into conquering another king, which, which he was trying to do with the three wise men, then he's going to use his power and his might and because of this, sons died in the streets. Families lost 
a child. Jesus, if you think about it, never met another man from the town of Bethlehem who was his exact contemporary. Herod went into a fury to kill all the boys that were born in that year. Just to make sure he could kill this upcoming king. Herod's murder of these little boys tells us how vicious Satan's opposition to Jesus really is. This was the opening into a war that would be waged against Jesus for the rest of Jesus' life. The seed of the serpent would oppose and eventually seek to crush the seed of the woman. Let me read to you Revelation 12, verses 1 through 6. This is John seeing this vision, right? And he says, And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. You see, that great dragon, that great red dragon is the devil. And he tried to devour Jesus at birth through the form of King Herod. And the good news is that God would not allow it. And Satan would constantly find new ways and new times to pounce on this coming king and kingdom. You see, what's the point? The point is that this is the era that we are living in. We now live in a different point of John's vision in Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. Those first six verses what was what happened in the past. This is not a future event. This is what happened in the past. Verse 17 is now the time of what happens now. It says, Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. That's the era that we're living in now. Maybe when you look around, you think the dragon is winning. Christians are suffering. Non-Christians deny the gospel at an alarming rate. And Satan seems to be winning even over your own heart. You see, this is the reality of us Christians. That Satan is at war with us. Each and every day of our lives. 
But you see, Matthew chapter 16, at the end of this gospel, verse 18 is our hope. Because it says, and I tell you, Jesus says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's our hope. That Jesus says that the gates of hell, this great red, red dragon, will never prevail against his church. The church that Christ builds by the blood of his own. And then you look at verses 19 and following, and it's very interesting. After Jesus, uh, Herod dies, right? In verses 19 of our text in Matthew chapter 2, we, we come to this next point where Herod is found dead, and, and it's time now to come back to uh, Jerusalem. But he doesn't. And if you look in verse 19, you see that you, you kind of understand that you know, Christmas is, is, is these times where parents give gifts to their children. And you love to see the, the, the faces and the look on their faces as they receive that new toy or that new, um, new Nintendo or whatever it is. And we love to see that. It's great. But as parents, we also know that our relationships with our children are far more precious than the actual toys they receive from us. The responsibility for parents is enormous because our children are breathing in our atmosphere that we breathe out every single day. It's a scary thought. It's like a relationship. It's never about the gifts that we give them on your one month or one year or birthday. It's always about your everyday relationship with your girlfriend or boyfriend or spouse. Don't ever forget that. It actually takes way more work to give yourself to your loved one than to figure out a gift or a special dinner once in a while. And I say all this because we understand that parents, all parents, shape their children in profound ways, whether that's good or bad. In verse 19, Herod finally dies. And so the good news is, hey, Jesus and, and Joseph and Mary can go back to their home. It's time to go back home. But Matthew twists it a little. He changes it up. He says, where really is home for this new family? When you look at history in Rome, the Emperor Augustus divided Herod's territories. When Herod died, he divided it to his three sons, Archelaus, Philip, and Antipas. And you see, when Herod dies, his atmosphere to his family's life, his children will constantly seek out the death of Christ. Herod Antipas was there for the end of Jesus' life. And if you go to Luke chapter 23, verse 9, Antipas treated Jesus as a lamb that is led to the slaughter and sent him back to Pilate in order to be sent to the cross. This is Herod's family. 
And their persecution of Jesus and the church, it's a long, long history, like father, like son. You see, this is not a physical thing. It's also a spiritual one. What the father breathes out, the son breathes in. What the parents breathe out, the children breathe in. Herod's anger, Herod's sins are taken on by his own children with the aim of ending the king's life. You and I, whether you're parents now or parents in the future, have a great, great responsibility. What I breathe out, my children breathe in. And you know, pastors, children, they tend to either be really good or horribly rebellious. But you know what goes on, right? You, you get this. Now, obviously, there are exceptions through supernatural grace. Sometimes, even if you have terrible parents, God works in ways to mend your very own heart. There's hope. But you see, for this very first Christmas, Herod brings hatred into this generation. And the point of this message is that Jesus comes in this very dark time filled with murder and violence. And there's this short, short time where at the time of Jesus' birth, we see angels singing, wise men giving their gifts, Joseph and Mary so happy. And there's joy and there's worship and awe. But shortly after that, Jesus will have a target on his head not just with Herod but ultimately Herod's father Satan and as joyous as the birth of Christ is the birth was only the beginning towards the cross where Jesus has no place to lay his head Jesus was born in a wooden manger Jesus would ultimately lay his head on a wooden cross and inhabit a borrowed tomb. But the good news is that for a time, Jesus did die. And he took on all of our sins. And all of our sins died along with him. And his resurrection is the sign and the seal for our secured hope. So then let us walk the walk of Christ. Let us find the joy and the hope that is in Jesus being born. Let us look to home as heaven and not here in this world. Let us understand that our relationships will always be broken. Our churches may always be broken. Our government will always be broken. Our society will always be broken. Our hearts may always be broken. But our hope is never in these external situations. Our hope is in what has been mended and fixed upon the cross of Christ. That's what I hope that you and I would continue on in this next year. We find hope. We find joy. We know that the struggle is going to be real. We know that the struggle is going to be here. 
but we keep pressing forward because of what Jesus did for us. Let's pray.